The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back once again to Brutal Nation for the Friday episode. I'm excited about this one. I'm your host, the illustrious Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the slightly scary Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. What are you looking at hi, over there? Hi, everybody. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Nightmare uh, Before Christmas, uh-huh. but I don't remember Dapper Jack and Dapper Sally. Yeah, they're special ones. Oh, okay. Those are special peasants. Okay. They weren't actually in the cartoon. No. Okay, that's where I was confused. No, they're, sorry, they're, they're, I didn't those, mean those, to. I collect Pez for those of you that don't know, and I have some special edition, limited edition Pezes and all kinds of things because I'm a child. That's what the fuck I am. He very much is. But hi, everybody. No, because I was looking. I'm like, I don't remember those two characters. But- that's why when we move into the new place, I'm having a whole wall that's going to be my display case for all my Pez. Yeah, because I've heard this is only a fraction. Yeah, of this them. is this is nothing. <laughs> This is just a fraction of the pens. Where are the rest of them? Where do you have those hidden? Like in that other closet over there? I might have a storage unit. (laughs) Full of pens? Let's get on with this one, shall we? (laughs) You don't want people to know that you're an idiot. Because I don't want everybody to know that I'm really a fucking child. We already know that. All right, boys and girls, today I am doing one that was actually kind of popular for its time. Um, Made a a lot of news coverage, but... I think he's been forgotten enough now to where I want to feature him. We're going to be doing Richard Cottingham, a.k.a. the Torso Killer, a.k.a. the New York Ripper. Dun, 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 dun. This guy's actually pretty fucked up, man. Yeah. And I wrote this one myself because this, this dude actually enamored me. Really? Yeah. I was interested. More than Kearney did? No, I am still in love with Kearney. Hmm. Um, I you don't ever send that last letter off? Not yet. I'm going to probably have to do that today. All right, let me set the scene, scene for y'all. It's a nice, normal day. You see your neighbor outside. His name is Richard. Richard's a good guy, good husband, good father. Maybe you have a few beers with him for, from time to time. Watch the game. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Even if, uh, or even barbecue with him and his family. You know, vice versa. You guys can go over to each other's house, right? No. Yeah. What no one knows, what no one could see, is that Richard is one of the brutalest serial killers in the history of New York and New Jersey. Wow. This is a story about a man who simply loved to kill women and dismember dismember them. Okay. They got to have one. Yeah, that's right. Hey, be serious about what you're doing, right? That's right. If you're going to commit to something, commit. That's right. On November 25th of 1946, Richard Francis Cunningham was born in the Bronx, New York. In the Bronx. Bronx. <laughs> they would make the move to New Jersey when Richard was about 12 years old. Hoboken? No. Uh, ah, fuck, I can't remember the town because I forgot to put it in here. Um, his father worked for an insurance company and his mother was a stay-at-home mom taking care of Richard and his two siblings. In high school, Richard was an average student and was remembered by those who were on his track and field team as kind of a loner of sorts. Like, he didn't really have fit into a clique, didn't hang out with anybody, but, you know, he, just, he went and did the sport and he was happy doing that, right? Uh, he wasn't in, uh, as life goes, as life goes, boom, he graduated, married, and had kids of his own. Oh. He'd find work as a computer operator at a large insurance company, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. 
Uh, They're actually good insurance, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> located in Manhattan, New York. New York. Yeah. Side note. Uh-oh. So one of the people that he worked with on a daily said that uh, in an interview that the computer was seven megabytes and took up four floors of a building that covered a city block. He went on to say that uh, they had never heard of a gigabyte at the time. I sat down with my son, Jake, and we were talking about how much technology has changed over a relatively short amount of time. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, my first computer was an Atari 800XL. Ours was a Commodore 64. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. That Atari uh, had a whopping one kilobyte of memory. Mm -hmm. When I was an adult... I had another computer desktop with one whole gigabyte of memory for the whole tower. Oh, yeah, and that was top of the line at the time. <laughs> now if you have anything less than a terabyte, you're fucked. Today, my phone has 128 gigabytes oh, yeah. of storage on it. That's Mine my, too. That's just not, that's my phone. That's mm-hmm. not including the tower that we're working out of today. No. Anything like that. that that's just well, my fucking phone. And just a little side note on that is when iPhones first came out, my boss got one when I was working for that ice cream distributor. Right. And she had left hers in the hot car. And oh. she took it in. She's like, there's something wrong. My phone won't turn on. He goes, that's your mistake. And she goes, what's my mistake? He goes, it's not a phone. It is a computer with phone capabilities. Yeah, no, it's pretty And it's pretty true. Accurate. I mean, yeah. Could you imagine back I, then? I never thought that I would see the day Yeah. that I'm holding in my hand. Well, not right now because it's sitting on the side of my desk. More power then what landed people on the fucking moon from NASA? If you were to take all the computers in New York City, mm-hmm. all of them. We're holding them in our right now. And combine them all together, they might have as much power as my one single cell phone. Yeah. All it's crazy how it's where technology nuts. has come from. But you know, Steve Jobs back way back when said that one day people would hold computers in their hands. Huh. Yeah. And yet... We still can't figure out a way to kill pedophiles. Yeah. Or easily assess grannies. Exactly. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> God forbid I go to the old folks' home and I try to pick up a daisy and sir, you're not allowed here anymore. We heard about you, Mr. Alexander. Call your, the police. Your picture is actually up at my son's work. Just say it. <laughs> my son put it there. No. It doesn't surprise me, man. At home, Richard was a family man, a good father and husband. He lived a fairly normal life. That was at least a persona that he wanted to present to the outside world. Mm -hmm. When he was not at home, however, his hobby was one that was dark and sadistic. In 1977, Detective Alan Greco was sent to investigate a missing person. Her name was Marianne Carr. She was supposed to meet up with her mother-in-law, but failed to show up. This was not normal for the young, recently married x-ray technician. Her mother-in-law got in contact with Marianne's husband, who was out of town, and he became concerned, so he called the cops. Oh, wow. Detective Greco found no signs of their apartment being broken into, and nothing was taken. Okay. Marianne Carr's body was found at a hotel uh, that was close to where she lived in the parking lot, dressed in her nurse's uniform, and very dead. Very dead. Very dead. Recently married. They'd only been was married she killed dead? Friend. They killed her dead. They killed her dead. Yep. Killed her to death. <laughs> there was one witness to uh, to there was one witness to a suspicious person that had been seen at the time of the abduction. 
that person looked a lot like Marianne's husband. Her husband bore a striking resemblance to Richard Cottingham, who had lived in the same apartment called the Little Fairy Apartments. <laughs> I know. I laughed at that one, too. So, as this point right here, though, the detectives had no leads to follow. And Detective Greco put it this way here. It's, um, you get leads and it takes you on a path. Yes. But when you have no leads, it's like firing a shotgun blast. So, it's, it's everywhere. And it's, you can't try right. everything. Like a buckshot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Did you say buck or butt? Buck. Okay. I know what I'm saying. I'm not that hillbilly. <clears throat> I didn't know if you were talking about your anal fascination or not. I don't have an anal fascination. Okay. So let's go to New Contrary York. Contrary to what you believe, we can keep showing me yours. But no. <laughs> let's go to New York City in the famous Times Square. In the 1970s throughout the 80s, it was known as a very seedy area. Oh, really? It's not like it is now. Where wow. It's been High end. And, like, yeah. yeah. You go there now to Times Square, you're going to drop some ducats, man. I was going to say, isn't it like high-end shopping and shit over there now? Right. A lot of shit got cleaned up. It was full of prostitutes, sex shops, and drugs. Just to name a few things. It was also known as the Minnesota Strip. That was because oftentimes runaways, especially young girls, would come there from the Midwest. Oh. These young, West, uh, these young Midwesterners would arrive at the Port Authority with little to no money. Oftentimes, they would be lured in by pimps and made to work the streets as prostitutes. Makes sense. The attacks, the attacks on sex workers was on the rise in a big way. It was becoming so much of a problem that it actually made big news in New York. Because wow. keep in mind, man, there's a lot of crime in New York City to begin with. Yeah. So something that's going to be that's going to blow up the news in New York. Yeah, it's, it's got to be big. Be fucking yeah. big, huge. Huge. <laughs> Girls would be picked up in New York's Times Square and taken to a, to seedy motels uh, in New Jersey. They would be found beaten and raped and left in the hotel room. Wow. In one particular hotel at the, quote, airport hotel, a prostitute was found severely beaten and sodomized with bite marks on her breasts. Wow. That's some, like... Fetishy shit right there. Very. Well, we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The bite marks alone is a fetish. On December 2nd of 1979, the fire department was called out to the travel lodge near Times Square. A fire had broken out in one of the rooms there. After breaking down the door to gain entry, they came across a grisly sight. Mm. The burnt and headless bodies of two girls that were on two beds in the room. Wow. After the bodies were autopsied, only one girl would be identified. The victim that they could identify was, uh, was that of a Kuwaiti, a Kuwaiti immigrant named Didi Gudarzi? G-O-O-D-A-R-Z-I. I practiced, but it's, don't do drugs. Okay, the bodies were burnt, but the motel room itself wasn't. There was damage. Oh, yeah, there was, the room was on fire. Oh, okay. See, I, didn't, I, didn't, I missed yeah, that he part. He set the bodies on fire. The okay, got, got burnt. it. Fire department breaks it down, puts out the flames, and goes, holy shit, there's two fucking decapitated girls. Wow. And I believe both of them had had their hands and their heads removed. Oh, yeah, that's typical. After coming to New York as an immigrant, this is uh, Dee Dee, she found work as a sex worker on the streets of Times Square. The police were able to link the killings of two uh, of the two girls to another killing that happened near Times Square. That of a victim named Helen Sykes, who was also a prostitute and had gone missing from the Times Square area. 
She was a teenage girl, and her body was found a few blocks away. Now, here's the, another grisly little thing. Her legs had been removed, and they were found a few blocks from her bo- where her body was found. And this was also in 1979. Wow. On May 5th of 1980, a housekeeper making her rounds and cleaning rooms at the same hotel where Marianne Carr's body was found in the parking lot. Uh, so as she's cleaning the rooms at this New Jersey hotel, she smelled a foul odor in her room. Mm-mm. She, ser- she searched for the for the source of the smell, and she searched. And her search, you know, while she's searching, she checked under the bed. Ugh. There's where she came face to face with the body of Valerie Streets. She was a known sex worker as well. Valerie Streets? Did uh-huh. she work the streets? I know. Isn't that <laughs> fucking amazing? That's that's that's, that's same 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 same. That not no no. You know what? That that's is almost same. you are destined yeah. with that kind of a name. Just like Cherry Love. Yeah. She had been brutally beaten, strangled, and uh, her nipples had bite marks on them. Ooh. The bite marks were so, were so bad on one nipple, it was nearly severed off. Ugh. That's a lot of bite. So Richard Cottingham never used the same hotel twice for his killings. That was until he slipped up with two of his victims. On May 15th of 1980, another prostitute by the name of Jean Reiner was found dead at a hotel near Times Square. She'd been beaten badly before she died, tortured, her and her breast had been removed, and her body was set on fire. Holy fuck time. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into that, too, because it, it, it gets kind of really macabre. Yeah. Like, even more than what it already is. I, you know, I see your eyes dancing right now. It's like you are so excited to present this. I loved researching this one. Yeah. You I, always tell me, I want one that's really fucking gross. I like the gross ones. Oh, my God. People are going to start thinking I'm a fetish murder. No, you're just a fetish reader. This time, the police could link mur- uh, link this murder to an to the other murders, such as that of the two girls who were set on fire in the hotel room, in a hotel room and decapitated, as well as the teenage girl with her legs removed. Wow. The mutilation of the body uh, is something that is unique from what I can tell in researching serial killers. To this extreme is what I'm talking about. No, I know. I'm just okay. trying to follow. It isn't often that we see the dismemberment of bodies as well as the removal of body parts and display and displaying them blocks away. True. The removal of the breasts was a shocking revelation in this case. It left me wondering why would why would he have done that? We'll we'll find out here though exactly why them. in a bit. Dun, dun, dun. But we don't. We do, we don't see him. We see display of bodies and body parts but usually it's within i'd say by like a hundred foot area usually a couple yeah. hundred feet max you're yeah, not because look at danny rowling how he like right. dismembered and like i mean he like posed the headless body with the head looking out over the scene right you know there's yeah and especially well and then the uh the biting and st- the other mutilation too is not something you see with like dismemberment either exactly there's there's a whole there's lot a of different it's There's a different a whole dichotomy. Much of shit going on with this, yeah. Because it's it's the dismembering the body. It's the taking. I mean, we're we're not talking like uh, our our chop off Charlie episode where yeah. they found uh, a penis from a child, which is small, like at the school or a park, right. a little bit of waste. 
We're talking like a set of legs, man. Yeah. I mean, we did kind of see it with the Cleveland Torso Killer. Okay. However, yeah. um, there wasn't the body mutilation, too, like the bites and the, you right. know what I mean? There wasn't the fetish aspect yeah. to it like so, we're seeing in this one. Exactly. So, I mean, because it's a totally different dichotomy. Somebody who dismembers doesn't always have that masochistic. Correct. You know, the sadomasochistic fetishing about, you know, the torture. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So. So about a week later, in the same hotel that Gene Reiner's body was found, a housekeeper was making her rounds. That's when she heard a woman screaming as if she was being tortured. So she knocked on the door of the room uh, that the screaming late, that the screaming was coming from, and a woman answered the door. The housekeeper asked if she was okay, and the woman said yes. What the housekeeper could not see, get it, not Z? <laughs> what she could not see was Richard Cunningham was standing just out of sight, holding a knife against the body of the screaming lady. Ooh. As the lady said no, her eyes darted back and forth, giving the housekeeper a signal that, in fact, she was not okay and that she was in danger. Like she's shaking her head no with her eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing the housekeeper realized that. Well, the housekeeper did call the police. Richard Cunningham suspected that she had called the cops as well, and he tried to flee. He was, he was caught, and he was arrested. When they searched his bag, they found certain items that raised big suspicion. Items such as handcuffs, which were previously used on victims uh, that previously that previous victims had evidence of ligature marks from being handcuffed, mm -hmm. two slave collars, a leather ball gag, two knives, and a lot of pills. <laughs> Your closet? My closet, exactly. <laughs> Richard had claimed that he was just a guest at the hotel and was trying to leave and get back home, but the police knew that he was lying. Given that all of the things that they found in a, a bag of tricks were items that had been used on previous victims, they took him into custody. Like, you know, I'm really shocked that they even made that connection considering it was the 70s and they were prostitutes. Well, I'm not only because it had been blown up so much in the media. Oh, that's yet. true, too. Had, had it not? Had it not been reported in the media at all? Yeah, he'd have just said, been... Yeah, go on your way. Yeah. Okay, hookers. Have a nice day. So while in custody, the police obtained a search warrant for his New Jersey home. That's where they gained access to his trophy room, which had items taken from each of the victims. Wow. I also learned that Cunningham's wife had filed for divorce about a month prior to him getting arrested. Now, I'm not able to confirm it, but it was said that she claimed cruelty as well as his refusal to have sex with her since 1976. Maybe she had a nasty pussy. Or maybe she wouldn't give in to his fetishy desires. That could be it, too. She might be a fucking saint for all I know. <clears throat> no matter the reason, however, his wife filing for divorce would explain the escalation in his crimes as far as frequency. Because you notice that it got, like, all of a sudden? Yeah. yeah. That's fine. A divorce adds a stress factor to the equation. Even if he wanted to f uh, be free from his wife, a divorce almost always has some stress factors. Always. I speculate that since he was served divorce papers, okay, <laughs> he could see that the facade he had created as a family man coming down. This could potentially leave him exposed, so to speak. So to speak. 
Richard Cottingham was charged with the murder and brought to trial. Murders. I watched a documentary about Cottingham and the prosecutor named Dennis, I, I want to say CeeLo, C-A-L-O, or it could be Callow, uh, recalled that Cottingham was a very active participant in this case. Uh, he was seen taking notes and passing them to his defense attorney as he paid very close attention to the court proceedings as they unfolded. Richard Cunningham insisted that he be allowed to testify as a witness in his own defense. This was, of course, against his attorney's advice. Well, of but, course it was. But Cunningham did it anyway. You want to know the best way, boys and girls, to go to prison or get the death penalty? Yeah, fucking go, 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 go sit up on that witness stand and go, I'm going to sort this shit out. You either testify on your own behalf or represent yourself. Yeah, that's a two guaranteed ways. Those are straight one-way tickets to the penitentiary. Yeah, the second thing, okay, we call Richard Cunningham to the, you know, in the trial right there. You're like, we you're call done. Richard Cunningham to go to prison. Yeah, <laughs> you, we don't even need to deliberate yeah. over this. Just send him to prison because he's doing this. He, of course, claimed that he was innocent of what he had been accused of, even though there was a mountain of evidence against him. Tons. Tons. Well, and here's a little thing I'm not sure if I got about uh, to this down into the uh, rest of the notes. I can't remember. But his trophy room was a room that he had locked off in his house, and his wife and his kids weren't allowed in there. Okay. They had n- never had access to it. Kind of like Brudos. Yeah, very much. He was convicted. You know, kind of like that one area we're not allowed to go to in your house. It's a special area. Just kidding, people. <laughs> kind of a place to hide the bodies, man, and the sex toys. He was convicted of five murders and sentenced to life in prison. Although he was only convicted of five murders, the police were convinced that he could be linked to more murders as well as rapes in the area. Oh, I guarantee it. That would be proven when Cunningham was being interviewed by a young journalist and teacher from Quebec, Canada, which is in Ontario. He said to her in in letters, as well as in the interview, that he had been killing girls since about 12 years prior to his arrest. Holy shit. So he'd been killing them since the 60s. Hell yeah. Um, I think he had actually said that his earliest victim was like when he was 20 years old. Wow. His victims that he murdered were all mutilated in some way. Some had their heads and hands removed to prevent them from being identified, while others had stab wounds and cut marks uh, that were done prior to their death. In the interview with Nadia Fitzani, the young journalist in question, he was asked why he removed the breast from the one victim. He said he wanted to create a sensationalism uh, with the media. He wanted to be the best at everything that he did, and he wanted to uh, also be the best serial killer. He was asked what he felt, and this is the one that kind of rooted me out, what he felt uh, when he was killing. And he replied, quote, nothing. I could put myself into a zone, and it was like a remote control. He felt nothing when he removed the breasts from the victim, and he stated that it's just a dead body. Wow, dude. In an interview, uh, in an interview, in another documentary, they interviewed a co-worker of Cunningham's by the name of Dominic Volpe. It could be Volpe, but yeah, let's go with Volpe. V-O-L-P-E? Yeah. Yeah. Volpe, yeah. Yeah. He worked as a computer operator with Cunningham every working day for 13 years. He recalls that Cunningham would boast about the S&M clubs that he went to as well as the prostitutes that he got with. 
<clears throat> he also said that he did not like to pay because no one was going to get the best of him. He boasted about one prostitute that he drugged and had sex with. And after he finished and she was passed out, he left without paying her. He went on to say that he took her clothes and her money as well. Dominic remembered that, that he liked to gamble and he always had a pocket full of cash. He said that Cunningham told him that he'd flash the cash to the prostitutes and they'd go anywhere he wanted to take them, including across the river to the New Jersey hotels. He further recounted that when the story broke on TV, uh, the TV news stations, he talked to Cunningham about it. And Cunningham had said, quote, what kind of sick son of a bitch would do something like this? So Dominic didn't believe Cunningham's story. Stories. He said, hey, when you're working with someone and you're hearing stories, you take it with a grain of salt. I also watched an interview, and this is this was this one here kind of got me. This interview that I'm talking talk about right here. I also watched an interview with a professor, Louis Schlesinger, Schlesinger, where he said that serial killers who target prostitutes do it for moral reasons. It's not Schlesinger. <coughs> That's probably it. S C H L E S I N G E R. The only reason why I say that is because it was a character's name on Oz, and every time somebody mispronounces his name, he goes, "It's Schlesinger." Oh, that could be it. Anyway, they they act on the fact that they hate prostitutes for basically being immoral, and they want to punish them by killing and dismembering them. I disagree with that statement from the professor in this case. I believe that Cunningham killed the for the sheer joy and sexual satisfaction that he received from victimizing, killing, and mutilating his victims. Yeah, and I think the fact that they were prostitutes is just because they were convenient. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cunningham said that uh, it, Cunningham said that it was arousing to him when he killed his victims. Yeah, he said something to the effect of, um, "There's no way to describe how it makes you feel. There's a sexual energy feeling that I got when I when I was doing it." Cunningham went on to also say that he must be sick because normal people don't do what he's done. I want to point out that there's another psychologist on the list that focused on uh, him being narcissistic. I'm not sure if I agree with her either. I felt like she was trying to focus on, uh, on that more than any other catalyst that could have been uh, at play while he, was, while, while he was killing. Cottingham claims that his fascination with BDSM stems from his teenage years when he found out... Uh, when he found that he was turned on by it. I do agree that there are some narcissistic behaviors that I saw in him as he was, uh, as he's being interviewed by Nadia Fitzari. Yeah, I put though at the end, but this doesn't lead in. Okay. <laughs> but see, but then you see narcissistic behaviors with a lot of serial killers. Right, right, right. So it's not like really odd there. I don't think that this was, I don't know. I, I get some behavior. This is just seeing the interviews with him, though. Yeah. I mean, I haven't sat down and psychoanalyzed him myself. I totally disagree with that Lewis Sludging. Uh, yeah. Sludging? Yeah. Is that what you just called him? Lewis Sludging? I don't care what kind of prof- <laughs> professional or expert he is. What he, what he was saying in regards to Richard Cottingham, I think, is way off base. Yeah. I mean, like, night and day fucking off yeah. base. 
He presented everything to her uh, almost like he expected her to be in great awe of what he did when he's presenting this to Nadia. Oh, yeah. You see that a lot. Yeah. And then he was proud of that. Mm-hmm. To me, he was spe- it was especially apparent when he asked when she asked him if he would ever kill her uh, if he had a chance. He said no, and Nadia asked why. Cunningham replied that he likes her and he could see her uh, as something that he uh, that as someone that he would have as a girlfriend. Oh, this actually confused me a bit. It's a little fucking creepy. A little bit. <laughs> For a guy who seemed to pay so such close attention while he was in court, he seems to have uh, been been oblivious to her body language as he as she spoke to him in person. While she was friendly, she was also straight to the point and professional. I saw a night and day difference in them both, even if they had been in the same age range. Yeah. Yeah, her body language was all off. Like, yeah. Like very off-putting. Yeah, it, it, it was friendly and it was professional. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between that and inviting. Yeah, she's not like sitting there going, oh, yeah, I would like blow you. <laughs> she might have been thinking it. No, no, Wait, she wasn't. We all know that there are serial killer groupies out there. Uh, I don't think she's one of them. She, number one, she teaches about serial killers. But the other thing is that she's in contact with other serial killers. Right. I'm not saying she was. I'm just saying, you know. Oh, I know. But what sparked her interest and serial killers was actually she was violently attacked as a teenager. Oh. And that's why she got into this. That's what wow. sparked it. And it didn't, I didn't get into her background because I just didn't have time to fucking research. Yeah. A whole bunch of stuff out of Canada. As a closing note, I must admit that I was nearly in tears myself seeing prosecutor, uh, the prosecutor break down in tears while standing in the courtroom with Nadia Fitzani. Dennis... Callow. I think it is Callow. Dennis Callow appeared to be a very strong man uh, who's tough on crime as he prosecuted. I can only imagine the mental anguish that he must have gone through while prosecuting Cunningham and having to see the pictures of his, of his victims and explaining the crimes in court. Yeah. I could tell that this case still weighs heavy on him, although he did an excellent job at getting Cunningham off the streets. To you, Mr. Callow, Callow, I salute you, sir. This bud's for you. That's right. <laughs> I would I would buy him a serious drink, man. Sorry, my foot is just really bad. So what the hell are you doing over there? I, Fucking gymnastics or no, something. No, the sad part is, is this time of year, I get swollen a lot. Shut up. And so my skin gets tight and it itches. And so oh. I use my, actually, my CBD cream because it helps with the inflammatory. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. That's it. Do you have anything you want to add to this motherfucker? See, when he when he cut off those boobs, I could have sworn he kept them. I would have thought the same thing, but I don't think he, he ever kept any body part. What they found in his secret room was things like jewelry and uh, like uh, some clothes that belonged to the victims. Oh, okay. Things like that, which I thought that was bizarre, too, because normally we, we see a lot of body part keeping. Oh, yeah. But we see other kinds of. Uh, forms yeah. of, of trophy taking, um, you know, but I can see why his frequency increased because. If, yeah, the divorce. Yeah, the divorce. All of a sudden, this facade that you put on is getting ready to It's going to crumble. Yeah. You're no longer the nice family man. And, right. Yeah. And they're, they're starting to look a little closer at you. And now they just busted you because they, you know, found out that you're torturing. Yeah. Uh, a hooker. Yeah. 
No bueno. It's fucking crazy. It is. That was sick, dude. Oh, it got sicker. I didn't even tell half of the really super sick shit. Why not? Uh, because it's downright fucking disgusting. Wait till you, wait till you pull photos for it. Or have your have your girl pull for, photos for this one. Because you're going to see some shit. Ugh. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap this one up. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out our Patreon page. Help a brother out. Helps the show. Uh, check us out on Medium, Crime Beat that's on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, just type in at Brutal Nation. We should pop right up. You're a freak of nature. Making faces at your dog. I know, and she cares. She gives no fuck. <laughs> she does. She's just looking at me like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" So goddamn fucking. Now she lay down. <laughs> this show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We will talk to you guys later. Bye bye. Bye everybody.